Hey, I'm Paul Perry. I'm Kim Hartsock, and you're listening to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it. So you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Now, let's get down to business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap. Today, we are talking about ESG and sustainability for businesses and kind of what that means and what is to, to come in the future and what do people need to be thinking about. And so today, we have a very special guest with us, Barry Melanson, who is the CEO of the AICPA. That's both the American Institute of CPAs as well as the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. I think I got that right. So welcome, Barry. We're glad to have you with us. Paul and Kim, it's great to be with both of you, and uh, it's a very uh, timely topic, and um, obviously, uh, over the years, worked very closely with the firm, and just really happy to be with you today. Thank you, Barry, for being with us, and we'll let our listeners know that you're actually joining us from London today, and we really appreciate you taking time to be with us. Yeah, I was in a series of meetings in London this week, and, and you may not find it surprising, given our topic, but a lot of the meetings uh, had a pretty strong ESG topic associated with. So Barry, if you could just start out, you know, we we have a variety of listeners on our podcast and some have probably a differing level of understanding of what ESG is. So can you just start by giving us some basics of ESG and what that means and what that means to business owners and leaders? Yeah, Kim, glad to do that. So, uh, you know, the technical, I guess, is in, in environmental, social, and, and uh, governance is the ESG. Um, you know, and that's the that's the watchword of the era that has sort of um, is sort of come together. But it's really, you know, it's it's probably broader than those three words in in a lot of ways. Um, it, the the reality is is that I think we start with the basics, and the basics is that entities, corporations around the world are given permission to operate from, from governments. So you're, you know, you're organized in a state or you're organized under the laws of the United States in, in this case, but it's the same everywhere. And basically, entities are given a permission and there's a quid pro quo that comes with that. There's a certain way you have to act, right? You have to pay taxes and you, you have to file financial information, and, and, you, and there's a certain way that you have to act. And for, for hundreds of years, it's been a pretty simple relationship. And that relationship is changing pretty dramatically with a lot of external forces today. Some of the, the social issues that we're facing in the, in the world, a lot of concern about the environment, you know, diversity and governance, uh, how you treat employees, uh, how you look at your business models. There are different levels of expectations from what we call a multi-stakeholder group. So, you know, traditionally, the, the stakeholder group of a company was primarily the people who owned it, right? Either shareholders and as a public company or the entrepreneurs in a privately held company. But in a world of, of everything, social media and communications and travel on a global connected world, that is changing. And the expectations that businesses have to sort of be responsible to is a, what we call a multi-stakeholder class. So it's, it's investors, but it's also regulators, it's employees, it's uh, other players in your supply chain, either providers of product to you or your customer base. Um, it's the community that you operate in. It's the expectation of people who, you know, work, who are spouses and children of people who work for a company. And so this sort of notion of multi-stakeholderism has expanded. And with that, 
what you're expected to, how you're supposed to act is, is set by, in some cases, I would say it's set by three different things. It's set by market expectations. It's set in some cases by regulation or legislation. Um, and it and also is set by standards or standard operating procedures or expectations in this space. And that's really what's happening in the world. And what I like to say, and, and, and I, I know Kim, you and Paul both have heard me say this, when particularly when we focus on the environmental part, it's very emotional in this country, right? And there are people listening to this podcast who I guarantee you believe it's, you know, the most important thing in their life, you know, their lifetimes that's being addressed is the environmental issue. And there are people totally on the other end of the spectrum that believe it is, you know, it's a made up issue. The science doesn't support it. It's, you know, it's being overblown, whatever words and adjectives you want to put into that environment. And I would say is looking at it from a business perspective and, and the role of, of really how it is accounted for, that sort of doesn't matter. The expectations are up. People are expecting things and really, and we'll talk about this, but measurement and reporting and actually understanding what I would say is the truth can prove either side, right, frankly. And that's the beauty of, I think, what's gelling in society today. I think that's that's really good uh, way to look at it, Barry, and, and we appreciate that that idea and that concept from a business perspective. But I would let's go a little bit um, maybe back further. This really is not a new idea. This is not a new concept. Of the idea of sustainability or somewhat of ESG has been around for some time. You can go back to the series principles that was created by Exxon after their spill. You can uh, go back to any investment. Uh, policy that any corporation had, right? If a nonprofit said, I don't want to invest in these types of companies, I'm not going to. They were in in essence following the idea or the concept of of ESG. And we want to, our daily actions need to to kind of coincide with what uh, our values and our cultures are. So why the hype now? Why are we seeing people either buying into this or or really jumping, jumping on the bandwagon, but there's really not a bandwagon because it's, it's, it's something that is here to stay for a while. Uh, probably, probably in, in looking at companies and, and how they're valued, but why the hype now? Yeah, actually in your history points there, I would say the, the real substantive change actually all, all goes all the way back to 1995. And when it was sort of a, um, a sort of a general consensus that the information flow of businesses is much broader than just what's in financial statement or tax returns. And so that was really the genesis. And it was it didn't pick up very quickly. But you're right. It is picking up. And the, and the why now, I think uh, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of parts to this. I mean, clearly environment, there's been a lot of activity that people are concerned about. And there's certainly we're living in, a, in an era in which the environment is changing. Now, we could, again, debate the causes of it, but it's clearly changing. Uh, and I think I would say it's, it's the world is a much more transparent place. And so the expectations are, are really driving it in this multi stakeholder notion. Right. I mean, you know, social media is a big driver of how much people are there. Employees, you've got a new generation of employees who have a different expectation of what is a company that I'm going to work for? Or how are they going to act? What are they, how, what's going to be their role in society? Clearly, you know, we've had major social issues in the diversity and equity and inclusion area that has driven a lot of this. Um, And I would say the world has become a much smaller place as a bigger driver of it as well, because 
what what a company may be required to do. You know, almost any size company has some attributes of their business that's global today. I mean, you can think about the impact of channels of distribution or supply chains on chips and how it's affecting U.S. made cars or how it affects our phones or how it, you know, all of these technological and uh, geographic issues of reliability is just sort of changing the the population of people who are watching and asking questions. And that's a major change. And clearly then that moves into the government or regulatory environment that, that you know, people who get elected have, have policies that they wish to see in, enacted along these lines. And frankly, there are leading companies that are embracing and improving that decision-making with more diversity and more being more attuned to some of these issues actually produces better returns and longer term value. And that's also sort of that cause and effect that that plays out in this space. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics? Then head on over to warrenabert.com forward slash the wrap and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now back to the show. So we just talked a little bit about the history of kind of where this started and how it's grown and some significant things that have happened in our world recently that have shifted people's thinking. But where do you see this going? So, you know, in three years and five years and 10 years, what do you think the short term impact will be? And then what do you where do you see this going long term and maybe talk about how, you know, this will be integrated within the United States, but, you know, even how that interacts globally, what you just talked about, how every business now has some aspect of their business that is global. You can't really get away from that, even if you consider yourself a small, a small business, right? Yeah. So I think where it's going to go. So, so if you want to think about how, um, back to this quid quote, uh, quid pro quo point that I made, you know, you can think about government, are the public or stakeholders expecting certain things? And how does that manifest? And that's really your question, Kim. How does that sort of play out? One way to think about it is just a whole bunch of broad-based rules that people have to apply or regulations or laws that come about. Another, and, and I, there'll be a lot of rhetoric around that, but that's really, really, really hard to execute because what is the trigger to doing that? And if we think about it, and this is where our profession comes into play, if you really think about what is the most common thing globally about business information, it's financial reporting. Essentially, the standards for financial reporting are the same. They're not exactly the same globally, but essentially the same. Standardization has occurred over 60 or 70 years in the accounting space. And it is, a, it is just commonly accepted that businesses provide financial information as a, as a sort of cost of doing business or a way that they have to be, uh, they are allowed to do business. And so I actually think it'll be one step below these sort of broad-based thematic type of things. It will be, it'll be delivered through requirements about information flow. And that information flow will be much more about the integrated components, not just financial components. We actually have a term we call integrated thinking and reporting. And what it means is that there's six elements to really how you run a business. I don't care if it's a big business or a tiny business. Um, Two of those we've traditionally complied with around the world, which is financial, what's called financial capital and uh, manufacturing capital. It's sort of the financial resources of the business. 
But the other four are not things that have been traditionally measured and reporting on. And they are um, what we would call natural capital, which the environment that we're talking about on the E uh, falls into. Um, human capital, which, which of course, you know, you could bring in any CEO and you say, you know, what's your most important asset? asset and they would say, my people which is a great thing for them to say, but we don't do a lot to measure and, and, and sort of look at that. Yeah, we have employment laws, but it doesn't sort of fit into that scope. So uh, human capital is one. Um, actually, relationship capital, the whole notion of how you function in a supply chain, how you function with customers, how you function with third parties, how you function in your community is a third thing that is a resource of companies today. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that's a very important, um, important element. And then, and then the, the last, the sixth is, is the notion of intangibles, right? Intangible capitals, which is such a big part of what businesses manage today. And so what I think will happen is actually first in the environment, because I think the environment is leading the charge today, but ultimately in all of those areas over the next, let's say decade plus, you will see mechanisms in which businesses will report in an integrated thing, how they're managing their businesses along those capitals. And for public companies, because public company information is very transparent because you have wide base of shareholders, that will be very, very, very transparent information, like an audited financial statement that's public today, except in all of those areas. For private companies in which that information is more private, it may be only shared in a more limited scope, maybe to your suppliers who may require that, or maybe to employees who want to know that as to who are they working for uh, in that particular space. Uh, and some of the forces that are, gonna, that are gonna impact that might be if you're a distributor of someone else's product, let's say, uh, you're a retailer or you're a wholesaler or something along those lines, um, they may be a public company and they may have this notion, these are called level three type of calculations. And they may have a, a, a need to sort of talk about their entire footprint, which means your footprint is part of their footprint. And so that the forces in the channel, if you will, will drive some of that as well. And so I see it, I think the world will gravitate. I think the world is gravitating to the way to get to all of this is through an already situated and effective information flow around finance information that gets added onto because that's the most effective way to do it. And then instead of us seeing um, a new infrastructure, if you want to call it that, being built around the globe. So I just want to say that this reiterates why accounting is such a, an integral part of our um, economy. And so young people, as they're going into college and trying to figure out what their career path is, obviously I'm a huge fan of being an accounting, um, having an accounting degree, but I just think it shows that the world will continue to change and accounting will, will adapt to that, right? You've got behind your head, adapt and thrive, which are two, you know, keywords for our industry, but it just shows you that even as you're talking about environmental, sustainability, social, all these things, the world still revolves around accounting. And that continues to be kind of a common language that unites us. And as we have a challenge of trying to grow our industry in terms of getting people to follow into this career and, and see the future in, in this career, 
I think this just goes to show how important it is. You're absolutely right. And let me, and let me define why that's really even, even at a, at a more granular level than what you said is absolutely right. What all the things that we just talked about is about how do you gather that information? What's the right information? What's the necessary information? How's this reported on? And there are five elements to how all of this is going to develop. It starts with controls in an organization. How do you actually obtain this information? Well, that's how financial information starts is with controls. The second is how do you measure it? How do you measure it against standards? And there's a process now to establish standards on a global basis for this. Well, just like accounting standards, you have a transaction, then you have to measure it against the standards. Then the third thing is what does that information, what does that internal story, does that information tell you for decision-making? That, again, is a sweet spot of, of the financial profession because we know how to do that. We look at financial information to drive investment decisions or business decisions. Then the fourth thing is what, where you have an external reporting responsibility, how do you gather that information and put it in a cogent way to report externally? Well, that's what financial statements have done for hundreds of years. And then, and then the final thing is how do, you have, how do you have assurance associated with that, that the people who see the information know that it's consistent and reliable? And that's what the attest function over financial information has all been about. So, Kim, your point is 100% accurate. And the components of where this is moving basically goes to the core competency of our profession. Now, it'll be supplemented, for instance, in carbon areas. You're probably going to have engineers that are going to be part of that process to help measure it. But the control and consistency aspect is around those five points. And I think that that is, you know, a lot of people talk about the AICPA being there for for CPA firms and and for auditors. But this to me proves even further that the AICPA is there for the the betterment and the advocacy of business and how business is done and run. And for the business owners that are listening, you know, they're they're probably sitting there thinking, well, how do I, you know, what is those frameworks Barry's talking about? And there's there's we're coming up with some. I think the the globe is coming up with a lot of uh, different types of frameworks. You can follow the SASBs, which has been picked up by the Value Reporting Foundation, which I know you're also a part of. So um, there's lots of uh, groups and foundations and nonprofits coming together to say, what is that global standard? for this. And, and that is what companies need to be looking at because you could go out there and there's probably 47 uh, areas that somebody could report on, but are those material for your type of business, for your type of service? And I think the SASBs is, is the leader in, uh, and, and I'm keep, I keep saying the SASBs is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Um, their, their framework really breaks it down into 77 uh, different industries and says, if this is your industry, these are the four or five things that are material and important. And that's how we're going to apply it across the board. And, and so I think that uh, business leaders thinking about what is my takeaway from this discussion, it's there are frameworks out there and there are ways you can get into, you know, what do I need to be reporting on and how do I need to, how do I need to function there? And Paul, the key component is you, you use frameworks with a plural. We need to narrow those down. There's actually about two years ago, there were 200 different frameworks. And as a CEO, uh, of a company, there's an awful lot of people, public companies and private companies to say, I want to comply with this, but tell me what to comply with. And that's really what's happening right now. And you referenced SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. So I co-chaired a group that has merged SASB, effective June 30th, uh, into the formation of an International Sustainability Standards Board that's independently going to set these compliance standards in a way that 
A, does what you said, which looks at it on an industry basis and also looks at it on a thematic basis in some cases. And the hope is that we don't have this alphabet soup of hundreds of different frameworks that we can rationalize and in some way simplify um, these measures and these standards so that businesses that are going to be required to comply in this area have have a, have a set of answers as to what they need to comply with instead of being second-guessed on what they're complying with. And that is really the goal. And that really has to be global because the environment, as an example, doesn't stop at some, you know, it doesn't stop at the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico or the Canadian border. And companies have subsidiaries around the world. They have supply chain components around the world, as we talked about with Kim just now. And so, it is a notion of can't we get in this in this environment to something that is measurable and consistently done so that it has a better rationale of doing it on and on a global basis. And that doesn't mean global drives, because this new board that's being set up is going to have a U.S. component, offices in the U.S., offices in Canada, offices in in the continental Europe, offices in London, offices in Asia. And the really important part is that businesses will have an opportunity to feed into proposals that come about. So, you know, something is, you know, crazy or whatever, they have an opportunity to, to, to deliver that feedback. And it's going to be done in an independent way, not by government, but by an independent standard setting board that really is designed to interact with the market and to be doing that on a global basis. Now, that's, that's a hopeful sort of great outcome. We may see some governments add more requirements on top, but at least if they do it off of a building block approach, which is the words we use, then at least we can have a core that is the starting point, which again, reduces the cost to implement and at least creates consistency. And I would make one more point because Paul, you used this industry point. The reality is if you write just generic standards in all of these areas, particularly these areas, not accounting, but particularly in the environmental areas, then, you know, if I'm in financial services, how do I apply that versus, let's say, extraction industries or manufacturing or retail, et cetera? And so one of the things in putting this together that's an imperative that we brought forward was there has to be a notion of, of industry-based types of approaches because the people implementing it you want them to be able to go into one place and say, ah, I'm in financial services or I'm in oil and gas. These are the measures that I need to be looking at. So Barry here on the wrap, we always try to wrap it up in 60 seconds or less. So what is, what's the main thing you want our listeners to leave with today uh, after hearing this discussion? Well, you know, what I would say is because the U.S. has probably got more naysayers to all of this than any other place in the globe. I have a global role and, and I, I get to see that. So I would say it this way. And I, I'll tell you a really, really, really quick story. I was in a I was in a, uh, a meeting um, that that had a person from the U.N. So so an organization that you would think you would label as a liberal organization. And that person made a strong case that a electric automobile and he named a brand. I won't name a brand here, but. Um, is actually a net negative cost to the environment. He made that point. And the sort of the general consensus would be it would be a net positive to the, to the environment, right? Well, the truth is, is that I don't think anybody really knows what's the right answer to that. The truth, I certainly don't know the right answer, whether it's a net positive or a net negative. But the, the building of, of a set of standards and consistent measurements, whether you believe either side of that equation 
standards produces the information that will let us hopefully in a transparent and consistent way, answer those types of questions. And if you're in the camp of, yes, it's the most important thing we can do, it's probably, you know, it may prove that, but it might prove the other side of the camp. And in our country, particularly, has been a leader in that this notion of transparency sort of proves that in finances and business models, what businesses survive throughout decades and decades. And so this is a good evolution in that space. And really, Again, you can embrace it from whatever side of the political spectrum you you might actually subscribe to. That's what I would leave for the people. Barry, this was a, a wonderful discussion. It's it's been a pleasure to uh, follow you for so many years being in this profession. Uh, I do want to say thank you for all that you do for this profession, but also for business uh, advocacy as a whole from from the accounting perspective and. Uh, we appreciate what you've done and we appreciate what you're going to do going forward. And thank you very much for for being a part of The Wrap with Kim and I. Glad to be here. It's always great to be with both of you. And uh, thanks for the great comments. And uh, I hope the listeners get something out of this as well. Thank you all. See you soon. Bye. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to the podcast series or make a suggestion of other topics you want to hear visit us at warrenabritt.com forward slash the wrap.